you can do anything if you can speak well, communicate well. Truly, whether it's landing an incredible new job, having better relationships with people in outside of work, whatever it is, but working on this skill will pay dividends forever. It is an incredible investment and the results that I see from people, that's why I do it. This is a people business. This is, Speakwell's method of marketing is word of mouth. I've that's the best not way. invested a red cent into a Facebook ad or whatever. And I think that's a testament to how powerful it can be. Welcome back to yet another episode of The Gathering Podcast. Uh, again, as always, I'm the same person, Kasim Virgi, here in the studio at Startwell on King Street West. And today for the 17th episode of Gathering, I'm joined with Jordan Benatar from Speakwell. Thanks for having me. Great name. Thank you. <laughs> both of yours and the company. Speakwell, Startwell. Um, do everything well and then whatever. Live well. Be well. Everything. The world is your oyster. So, uh, Jordan, tell me about Speakwell. What, what does Speakwell do? Speakwell is a public speaking and communications coaching, consulting, and training firm, and transforming people into world class communicators who own the room. I like this. So, okay, and we're gonna peel back the onion on your history and how it has evolved into this work. Uh, and uh, and the level of expertise with which you kind of engage your your clientele. Um, so let's go way way back 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 to the seventies. Maybe not, not the seventies. Yeah, back <laughs> back to back to when you know you started working as a child. Yes, what? yes. My first job was being a child actor. So I actually started acting in 1996, and. I started with commercials. I think I did five commercials and then moved like on TV to... Like TV commercials? Yeah. Okay. Shoppers Drug Mart, TD Bank. I think I did a Volvo car commercial. And then... But you weren't driving. Definitely not. Okay. I was a great car seat model. And then it evolved into acting in film and TV. And honestly, it was the best experience. I had so much fun on set. I wanted to do it way more than my parents allowed me to. How, did, always, they, how did they get you into this, though? Because I, you know, I know my daughter's like four and a half. I'm sure she would be like, she'd love, she loves being on sets. She's been in our studio and stuff. I like running around in lights and things. But yeah, how did, was it something that they, they thought was just fun to do? Or was it more like? Not, not at all. I oh, think. Okay. So, it was war. It was business. <laughs> the audience can't see how, how petite I am, but I was always very, very small. Okay. And so at the age of, let's say five, and I could read, I could play like three because I was so small. And my doctor, I remember, had told, well, I, I don't remember, but from what I, the stories that I've been told. I'm told I remember. I've been told that I remember this, uh, that I was rambunctious and talkative and mature and that I would be great in film and, and TV. So mm. I, I heard this while apparently he was telling my mother and wouldn't let the idea go. So that evolved into a career for actually a, quite a long time. I would usually do about a project a year. Wow. And it was great, but that's how it started. It started with someone saying, this girl is feisty. She should be on camera. And I I loved that idea. And I begged and begged and begged my parents. And oh, so you were into it as a I kid. was you so like, into it. Let me do this. Oh yeah. Wow. My dream at the time was to be on Barney. Barney. Yeah. But the then, dinosaur. Uh, yeah. The purple dinosaur. <laughs> 
how close to getting on the Barney show were you? Not. Okay. No, I was Very in. Very far. No. <laughs> there were some cool movies that I did, but not Barney level. No. What, for you, from what you remember, because age-wise, if you were a child actor, like, when did you start and when did you stop? What? I started, I think I was three in commercials and then moved on to movies when I was five. Oh, very young. Mm -hmm. wow. My first movie was, I think it was called Must Be Santa, which is apropos for this time of year. Absolutely. And the second movie I did was called What Makes a Family. And that was one of the best, even though it was, I was so young, I actually mm -hmm. remember it really vividly. It was the best experience. It was like an all-female cast. It was Brooke Shields, Cherry Jones, Tony Award winning Broadway actress. We had Ben Stiller's mom play my grandma. Yeah, it was it was really cool. Whoopi Goldberg played the judge in the movie. It oh my was, god! Yeah, so I I loved that experience so much and kind of made it my mission to make it part of my life. And it was pretty fun missing school. Mm -hmm, I yeah, can for like one or two months and yeah. getting taught by. I don't know, a tutor on set or whatever for four hours a day as opposed to eight. Was, well, also because sweet deal. <laughs> kids like doing physical things, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, like my daughter's really into dance. She's not so much into like, you know, going into like she, she has a lot of apprehension about going to her uh, like jazz tap dance that we have her in. But as soon as she's there, she loves it. Right. So if it's an organized kind of thing, it's like less exciting. But if there's a party, she's going to jam out, you know? <laughs> so yeah. She sounds very cute. She's cool. Yeah. She's but those really cool. experiences, whether it's performing on stage in a tap show or for me being on set, working with adults, totally shapes who you are mm -hmm. as a person. Like those are your formative years. And having that experience absolutely feeds into the approach that I take with Speak Well. I also understand the difference between acting and being yourself, which is mm -hmm. what public speaking is all about. And I just I'm grateful for that because it without even in, in unconscious ways, it slips in and shapes the way that I coach people. Well, it's super interesting because as far as I understand it, then you, you got in a, you, you, it's not even got in a, this is not something you like, it's not a pit that you can, you know, fall over into in an early grave. He was walking in the cemetery, <laughs> but no, the, uh, you, you found yourself years later, uh, at the bar. At the bar. Oh. <laughs> as a lawyer. Yes. As a lawyer. Passed the bar exams, and I have not practiced. Did you ever practice? What stopped you? No. I So I was actually working. I was doing my – when you're in law school, during your – what's it called? A 2L summer. So after your second year of law school. For me, it was actually my 3L summer Okay. because I did the combined JD-MBA program. So okay. it sort of puts you back a year but saves you a year. Law and MBA in one yeah. thing. You cool. do it at the same time. Okay. And during my 3L summer, I worked at a firm in New York called Skadden. And I loved it. I was there for just four months or whatever it is. And at the same time, I had met now, my now husband. Hey, muzzle tough. <laughs> thank you. He was my boyfriend at the time. And he was back in Toronto and decided, I'm going to move home to Toronto. And when you do that, you have to go through your articles, mm -hmm. right? You have to do articling here, which you do not have to do in the U.S. In the oh, US, there's no you, articling? No, you finish law school, you write the bar exams, and you're licensed to practice. I didn't know that. Right. So I did my articles at Goodman's, which is a great law firm here in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And when it was the end of my term, I was like, will I learn something more that is going to be directly applicable to what I want to be doing, which right. is running Speakwell full-time in the future? So you already knew that? Mm-hmm. 
So when did the Speak Well journey start, like formally? 2011, informally, and then formally 2020. So 2011, I was doing Speak Well as a side hustle. I was coaching people who needed communication skills to Do you get jobs, whatever. Yeah. The first time that you did that, like there must yes. have been a catalyst for, for this to propel into kind of a career. Yeah. If I think even further back, I was a competitive debater and public speaker in high school. And when I stopped, I think it was in 12th grade when I was no longer competing, I was coaching other students. So just mm. for fun, it felt like a leadership position, and I was coaching people for competitions. Okay. So that was, I guess, oh, I really like this, and I'm good at it. People were winning. So then I got to university. I went to Queen's University okay. in Kingston and started doing it also sort of pro bono. People that wanted to get into med school, consulting jobs, interviewing for other types of positions. There was a pitch competition I remember that I coached somebody for because I saw the gap between how smart they were Mm -hmm. and how they were communicating. Mm -hmm. And there was a lag. So they weren't achieving the goal, even though they had all the credentials and qualifications to get themselves in the room or Mm -hmm. one foot in. But in order to seal the deal or really achieve whatever the goal is that they had in mind, they really needed to amplify their communication skills. So I started doing that and every single person that I coached got what they wanted. Wow. And I was like, And people were just gravitating <laughs> to you. They were like at that time they were just gravitating. Oh, to it you. started just word of mouth. Right. Yeah. So one one person would get into med school and then tell all their friends, Oh, you need to work with Jordan. She is how I was able like some people would get interviews and knock it in. I'm like, what happened? We mm-hmm. need to we need to fix that. Because you're clearly smart enough to get into med school. They've seen your grades. They've seen your resume, whatever. And I'd say that's not the bulk of my practice today, coaching people to get into med school. Sure, yeah. Although I I did have two students last year. What? Yeah. Yeah. But that was the start. Okay. And that's where I I noticed. And you you asked how SpeakWell started formally. Mm -hmm. My client base continued to grow on a part-time. I was doing a part-time side hustle, like I said. And year after year, I, I guess just continually through word of mouth. And I continued my other pursuits, too. Like I did a semester abroad in New York, which is not really abroad, but whatever. <laughs> it was, wasn't Kingston. <laughs> Law school, business school. I, can, I, I kept it up. Yeah. And then when the decision came of whether I wanted to be a lawyer, practice law every single day, I was like, the time to go with my gut is now. Right. Before, I don't know, I I worried that I was going to get either pigeonholed or I wasn't going to learn anything that was going to help me in the future. And I also, my biggest regret, sorry, my biggest fear is like Mm. having regrets. And I was like, I don't want to regret not trying. It's a great way to live life is to like not want to have regrets. Yeah. And I don't think I do. Great thing to drive decision making. Just like, is this something that's really what I believe in or... I feel like I'm. I have to do it because of other people or whatever. Yeah, so that's great. So then you kind of like double down on yourself and your own thing. And I'm on my clients really. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm able now to give them undivided attention. My client base has grown. Speakle's grown by four hundred and fifty percent this year. Wow. Alone. Yeah, it's wild. So what are the types of customers that you now work with? It's pretty broad still. Okay. There's the odd medical school student or person who's trying to 
uh, get a particular specialty in their fellowship or whatever. <laughs> it was funny how that thread of medicine has continued. But it's a lot yeah, of... Yeah, well, because like medical professionals are terrible at articulation. They're very technical. If they, Not they, all of them. They're but. great at communicating with each other. They're great at it. But... Yeah, I'm biased. My wife is a doctor, you see, so this is where Okay, this so this comes from. from a place of love. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I'm not hating on the medical profession. No, and like all of her friends who are doctors, they like have a great time talking to each other and they, they crack jokes about medicine and they, all this stuff. And uh, But I, I see how when even in that profession, you have conferences, you have whether it's like IRL or online, you have um, even like there was one thing that she was engaged with the other day where there was like the uh, Ontario Medical Association is hosting these kind of like um, town halls, virtual town halls and great speakers. And they're really rallying um, the opinion to be able to take to Capitol. Well not, yeah, I guess Capitol Hill, we call it right mm -hmm. in Canada and um, and wherever Queens Park in Ontario, like the politicians. And it's painful to watch that from over her shoulder and see how. It kind of, because of the, let's say, lack of experience maybe that medical professionals have in v vocalizing their frustrations or their, their larger thoughts about the profession and uh, institutions they work with, it, there seems to be a kind of a lack of voice they collectively can, you know, wield. And so you see these implications. Totally. And this. I mean, they're not alone. There are so many professions that are extremely technical and written with jargon and very difficult to explain things in simple terms and persuasively as well, because that's not how they were trained. Right. But I have worked with, I mean, as we ascend through the medical career, everywhere, everyone from students to the head of a hospital in Montreal, for example, is a client of mine. So, but to go back to your original mm -hmm. question being what, what comprises your practice, it's 50-50 between private clients and corporations. Okay. The private clients oftentimes are either C-suites, so executives, leaders, CEOs, COOs, and then also up-and-coming, high-potential, very promising leaders who are really trying to take it to the next level in mm -hmm. their careers. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of organizations, it's something small like a startup all the way to Fortune 500 companies. I work with leaders at Merck, Comcast, securities exchanges. I've worked with judges, although that's more on the individual side. So it's pretty vast and broad mm -hmm. and diverse. But the one thing that they that everybody has in common is that they want to hone their leadership skills. They want to articulate themselves more effectively, and they want to sound smart. It's so interesting because, like, there's there's this narrative in even this series as we continue talking to people who support teams and people who support ultimately people in business, um, a large part of, I think, dysfunction in business comes from the inability for people to communicate. And business is very much grounded in communication is something I've always believed. But if you look at larger organizations, one thing that we're hearing right now is um, a lot of disconnection that, you know, employees are feeling. Part of that being this, like, embrace of hybrid realities, remote work, work at home, mm -hmm. the digital disconnect. Um, and I think, well, let me put it on you on that topic. Um, how have you been working with clients recently in the last few years to bridge those gaps? You know, the idea of kind of speaking beyond the medium, how, how people can project themselves through 
you know, in whichever forum they're they're communicating. Right. So there's two parts to communication. There's what you say and there's how you say it. And there's a very heavy focus on the how you say it portion generally, mm-hmm. but all but particularly in terms of okay, how do we adapt to our medium? So for example, we're on video today. Mm-hmm. That means that not all of the focus has to be on my voice, but when you're on the phone, you need to channel all of your emotion and your enthusiasm and all of the things that you're trying to express in the tone through your voice. But here I have facial expressions at my disposal. I have hand gestures. I have posture to, I don't know, communicate sure. something. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> what, what does your posture say well, about you're you? You're going to be hunched over the table, whatever it is. Damn so, low microphone. <laughs> making usually me look the microphone terrible. is too high for me. <laughs> so this is, this is nice. But... The medium is really, really important in terms of shaping your communication and also the way that you engage people. Right. So if it's a webinar style, for example, where you are you don't get any feedback from your audience, you can't even see your audience, how do you handle that? It's going to be a little bit different than when the Zoom chat is super active and you can see people on the other side mm-hmm. and you can actually see all of them, which is different than when you're in person and you probably can't see the face and the reaction of the person seated at the back of the auditorium, right? But on Zoom, you can actually usually see how people are taking to your information. Mm-hmm. So medium is is key for both what you say, like how you engage people, and how you say it. And it's interesting because then there's a other thing, like the kind of context of, of communication and business also seems to be changing, whereby the politics in organizations are are, are getting... I don't know. There's lots of like new factors that people keep raising on this series about things like um, how you manage churn and the reason for why churn is becoming an issue. And what I mean by that is employee tenure at companies going from what historically was 10, 20 years of career at a company down to whatever, whatever, whatever. And then someone just a couple episodes was telling us, um, a recruiting specialist, was telling us they're expecting people to be placed for two and a half years in their roles two and a half years. And then of course, a lot of people in startups are telling us that's six months. So people are, are kind of looking to piece out from their job uh, anywhere, let's call it from two to three years. And they come into a job with the expectation that they will leave it. So it's interesting because if, you know, the workplace is really about kind of forming relationships and then teamwork and working, relying on other people, uh, there's these uh, larger trust issues if, if you know, churn is such a big part of corporate culture in the next decade ahead. Um, what's your take on, on that topic in relation to how people are communicating? Well, I because I don't work at a huge organization, <laughs> yeah. president of SpeakWell, I, I feel like I'm actually not qualified to answer that question. Mm-hmm. Also, having worked at a law firm where a lot of people, their goal is to become a partner and right. they're there for the long haul. It's the ladder, man. You've got to climb that ladder. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I never saw myself as being someone to jump from one career to the next, but I do see myself as someone who is multi-passionate and has lots of projects on the go. So I guess I'm able to explore my various interests through projects within SpeakWell, whether it's like the private coaching or the workshops or whatever. But to go back to your question about churn and turnover I think communication is key. Mm -hmm. Emboldening your people to be leaders at any level, whether Mm -hmm. they've just started and they're an intern, they should be given all of the resources in the world to see themselves there for the long long term. And 
honestly, that's like the biggest competitive advantage for businesses these days is how do we hold on to talent because people are everything. Right. I mean, I'm sure you saw ChatGPT that that oh. coming out. I was like, that's scary. Chat GBT. <laughs> that can take care of a we lot can of pause jobs. Pause on that for a second. Which Chat GBT. is fascinating, amazing, so cool. Yeah. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that relationships, people are everything, and how do we hold on to that is really through communication. Mm -hmm. How do you articulate the hard stuff to your boss? How do you negotiate your salary? How do you explore what your career options are within an organization? Maybe you're not happy in your current role, but that doesn't mean you wouldn't be elated to be in a different one. Mm -hmm. How do you work with teams? How do you manage people? How do you manage up? How do you manage down? And it all boils down to how you articulate yourself. And then there's ripple effects of that too, right? Your mm -hmm. credibility, your reputation within the organization, and also beyond the organization. Right. Because companies are so people-facing these days. We want to see people's personalities come out. And the best way to do that is through communicating, whether that's written or oral. Yeah, and and then, yeah, of course, something at Starwell that we do a lot is, is video. We produce video about everything. And uh, it's becoming something that companies are coming to us for. And it's now something, of course... Uh, that is functionally possible through LinkedIn. And it's another theme that's coming out in this series, which is, you know, people are, organizations are reconsidering how to enable uh, the voices of their people through whatever platform they want to. And a lot of it is on LinkedIn. Like a lot of companies are saying, we would love to have our staff be able to represent us on LinkedIn. You know, there's a collective kind of hiring function there. Totally. I've heard this from my friends. They're mm -hmm. like, my boss is asking me to post on LinkedIn <laughs> and be an evangelist for our organization. So I, I, I yeah. hear what you're saying and I see it too. Yeah, you see it. As LinkedIn becomes a social network, you hope that the workplace becomes more social as well. And it's less about managing the fear of people spending time on LinkedIn looking for other jobs and instead being like, hey, no, this is a professional network where... You know, there are opportunities for company-to-company -company relationship being formed. Yeah. Totally. Um, okay, so let's talk about what you do practically. Okay. How does it, How does it? like, I'm your client. Let's say, Lucky me. <laughs> let's say start well, like the company, okay? I say I've got five staff, blah, 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 blah. This is what we do. Um, we need help communicating. Okay. Yeah, I mean, whatever the context right. is that people come to you with. Like, how, I guess there, everyone has a different problem. It might be, uh, especially on the personal angle, but even companies. Like, is it... Totally. Is it specifically leaders coming to you saying, I'm having difficulty with this? Or is it um, HR professionals coming to you saying, our whole team needs to work better at communicating? It's both. Okay. So when it comes to the... I'll start with the corporate side, because that's what you led with. Mm-hmm. When it when an organization approaches me, it's usually through the top, right? It's it's probably the CEO or someone in on that level, yep. or it's the HR professional, like okay. the head, the chief of people and culture, the head of HR, whatever it is. And we hop on a call mm -hmm. without a time limit, and we explore absolutely everything that's going on, and everything is of course confidential, and we talk about what success would look like for them in the future if all of their people could speak well and what are the parts that they need to enhance? What, what are the parts that really need refining and improvement? And maybe it's being on the same page about the corporate message. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's about teamwork and communicating internally with each other. Maybe it's about persuasive storytelling, like using the power of story 
to really persuade people to to do something, to think mm-hmm. in a certain way, to behave in a certain way. Maybe it's about motivating and inspiring your teams to get on board with an initiative that maybe wasn't accepted <laughs> when we initially introduced it, something mm-hmm. like that, because you know, we're living in this crazy time of change. Right, absolutely. Right, whether it's coming back to the office or introducing a new product or service or ending a product or service, whatever it is. Or maybe it's just communication one-on-one and people suck at communicating and they need help with everything from email etiquette to giving constructive feedback that launches people forward. Mm -hmm. So we talk about all of that and then they'll take a look at SpeakWell's workshop menu. Okay. And there are tons of different options there as well as a custom option, which is fantastic. We, We build it specifically for you and your organization. And then we pick a date and time. We get every, I get all the contact information of everyone who's going to be there, the types of people that they are. It's a very, very tailored experience to the organization. Everything from the content that's included in the workshop, mm-hmm. as well as the physical workbooks that they receive and actually keep and probably reuse many, many times after the workshop. And these workshops are primarily done in person or remotely or? It's, it's, it's half and half now. Okay. And Good. it's been great to be in person, both here in Toronto. I'm going to New York in a couple weeks, mm-hmm. like it's exciting to yeah. be back traveling face to face. Exactly. Yeah. But a lot of the stuff is virtual as well. So really no limit on that. And of course, the workbooks would just be digital and fillable and reusable there. So let's say they engage you and, and now it's time for the workshop, first workshop. What kind of stuff do can, can teams expect from your workshops? What do they do when they're there? Learning by doing, okay. firstly. Second, bringing all of the experience that I have, whether it's acting on camera or it's thinking persuasively as a lawyer Mm -hmm. or constructing arguments or structuring your speaking points to be coherent, concise, compelling, moving. Maybe it's working on anxiety around public speaking, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. Every single workshop has tangible takeaways and also opportunities to practice those skills in real time because if you don't practice and I just lecture at you for three hours then it's just it's gonna, in one ear exactly out the other. so a lot of it it sounds like a lot of it is kind of very much like uh, like improv class like are there situations like people have to act through situations yes okay. however yeah the one thing I would say maybe it's different from improv class in the sense that you are being yourself there mm-hmm. is no the right. role that you are playing is not like role play of being somebody else you yeah. are being your authentic best self and they try these things in real time they receive constructive feedback and they and usually the feedback that i receive is oh my gosh we didn't know our people had it in them like wow this is going to change our organization forever so you kind of found this is the way i hear that it sounds like that kind of artifice in business is which may be based on assumption about role playing and how people kind of don't communicate but communicate Judy, how was your weekend? Oh, it was so good. I took the kids to the mountain. We went skiing. Oh, that's great. All right, let's go work. That isn't necessarily, you know, an honest kind of like catch up. Right. Well, that's listening to reply and then get to work. It's not listening for the sake of actually listening and connecting. Right. So there's a difference there. But that anyway, what they get out of it is really there's there's tangible change and measurable change as well, which is why oftentimes we'll also do it as a series. Like an organization will say, okay, these are the four skills that we want to build within our people. Mm-hmm. By the end of 2023, 
We want our people to be equipped to do A, B, C, D. Let's do a quarterly workshop to master all of them. And that's how it goes. Hmm. I love it. Yeah. So looking at 2023 ahead mm-hmm. in a minute, um, what is ahead for you for SpeakWell? Are there particular, is there a change or any, you know, alteration in how you're offering what you're doing to the market, things that you are looking forward to next year? I'd say, yes. Firstly, so many exciting workshops coming up. I'm currently booking private clients now for 2020, for March 2023 because January and February are already full, which is mm-hmm. really cool. Mm-hmm. And the private client experience is going to be different. Everything is going to be significantly more streamlined, almost like when you're using a really cool app like Peloton or something like that where you can communicate, you can measure your growth. There's a lot of shared and from a tech perspective, I guess that's the part that fascinates me. But in terms of my bread and butter, which is really helping people own the room, level up in terms of their leadership, that's the stuff that stays the same. Right. And I mean, I'm obviously continuing to grow and I learn so much from my clients all the time. So what's in store for 2023? I could say a tech upgrade on the individual side, expanding the workshop menu on the corporate side. Mm-hmm. Also the possibility of building a community of a really safe place for everybody to practice their public speaking skills. Like a I less, like that. less archaic version of Toastmasters, essentially. Well, so stay tuned. That's exciting. Yeah, okay, it, well, it is exciting. When you I can can't say, say too much yeah, about Yeah, when that. you can, yeah. you should say it here. <laughs> will you have me back? I will have you back. In fact, <laughs> in April, we're doing this two-day conference. And if you know, stars align, then then we can have you uh, present. That would be fantastic. I'm sure our audience That'd be great. would love that. Yeah, I would love that. It's a two-day conference. We're going to have, as of now, we've got 200 people registered in downtown Toronto. Uh, if registrations keep going, then, you know, we'll, we may change venue. Uh, but the plan is to do it one day kind of stage and interaction. Second day, a lot of workshops the whole day. And then people present the output of those workshops back on stage to the whole audience. Wow. So it's a real like hands on two days. At the end of it, you'll have 200 friends, you know, <laughs> that are peers. Uh, so it's a really exciting kind of thing. That is exciting. Yeah. It's I hope cool. they bring it with their public speaking skills. Yeah. Well, we can work together on that. Okay. You can help them with executive presence and all that. We'll do an executive presence sequel workshop. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good. Awesome. Well, it was wicked having you in the studio. Thank you so much. This was this was great. Yeah, absolutely. It was awesome to hear about what you're doing because I think um, a lot of people, I hope, who are listening will realize through this conversation that in their own organizations, there's a lot of opportunity for improvement in how they communicate. It's true. I, I, I'll end with, I want to just, anyone who's listening, yeah. to feel like you can do anything if you can speak well, communicate well. Truly, whether it's landing an incredible new job, having better relationships with people in outside of work, whatever it is, but working on this skill will pay dividends forever. It is an incredible investment and the results that I see from people, that's why I do it. This is a people business. This is, Speakwell's method of marketing is word of mouth. I've that's the best not way. invested a red cent into a Facebook ad or whatever. And I think that's a testament to how powerful it can be to Absolutely. transform people's careers. So just for, I want people to know that you have it in you. You mm-hmm. can do anything. Yay. If public speaking makes you nervous, there's a way out. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of that, for, at least for me, an end note is that often cases you think everything's cool, 
but like you're you don't even know you don't have the consciousness to know yeah yeah <laughs> you're still not sure that you, did you ask for everything you wanted did you actually you know it was a great interaction with someone but did they did you get what you wanted out of it you totally. know, at least in business it's always like that yeah awesome well thanks once again that's it was a, a wrap. pleasure yeah it's a wrap <laughs> thanks Kasim. yeah pleasure